Welcome back to the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast by Clay Temple Media, where we discuss the work of the great science fiction writer Gene Wolfe, one story at a time. I'm Glenn McDorman. And I'm Brandon Buddha. This episode, we're talking about the short story Morning Glory, originally published in the 1970 anthology Alchemy and Academy. And reprinted in the story collection, Stories from the Old Hotel. Uh, Brandon, this is a, a quick story with a simple plot about plant behavior, but it's got a lot of metaphor and uh, just a, a lot of meaning. And uh, there's also a psychoanalyst and there are some dreams. So I think we might end up doing some dream interpretation this episode. We'll see. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this story. I was <laughs> thinking back to some of my uh, early days as an English major and reading, you know, William James on dreams and different things. <laughs> I don't know if it fits with this discussion, but we'll see. Well, we'll find out. Um, on that note, Brandon, why don't you uh, get us started with the recap of Morning Glory? Happily. Morning Glory, uh, the story begins with our protagonist, whose name we're given as Smythe. He is a short and untidy man whose face shows embarrassment. He is speaking to a man called Black in what we soon to discover is a session of Freudian psychoanalysis. Black invites his patient to continue with the conversation that began before the story. Smythe gives us some background to a dream he is describing to Black. He relates his father's relationship with food, namely the absurd degree to which his father carried the belief that bread was sacred. Yeah. <laughs> we learn briefly that Smythe has been attending therapy with Black for years. We also learn that Smythe fabricates a large portion of his sessions on the way to his meetings with Black. Yeah, almost all of them. He just makes up dreams and tells them to his psychoanalyst, which sounds like a fun fun activity in a morning commute. Yeah, and I get the sense that these guys are at the same university, which is a you know maybe a problematic thing. We'll be we'll be able to discuss here in a moment. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 too bad he didn't have podcasts to listen to on his way to work. Though. That's true. He's just got to sit with the misery and the hot bus with other people. But now that Smythe is about to disclose something true about his life, he's conflicted. He feels it would be cheating to tell Black about a real dream, but he does. Smythe dreamed that he was a vine, and that he, as a vine, is pounding on a translucent wall with a useless light on the other side. The light is not life-giving, and he cannot get to it. His father, who is dead, he says, taunts him. Perhaps... In order to relate the background of the dream and the dubious information he shares with Black uh, regarding his father believing bread to be sacred, uh, Smythe shares additionally that his father believed that a person is what they eat. And he shares almost apropos of nothing, or maybe just of this, that he has eaten morning glory seeds, and these are hallucinogenic. They have similar properties to LSD. Smythe goes on to tell that he got the seeds from the department he works at at the university and took them privately without telling anyone. And he didn't really expect to experience any hallucinations. I want to take a quick break here. I looked up these seeds. You need to oh, eat yeah. hundreds like, of them. Well, I thought it was close to a thousand yes. of them that you needed. To, you know, to experience as I recall any from hallucination. High school. Yeah. <laughs> um, which yeah, is so, outrageous. Yeah. And, and and I don't think he really I don't think he really actually tells us how many he took, but I, I assume he did take the proper amount to have hallucinations, which I, it just seems like yeah. a big undertaking. It's outrageous. It's an outrageous thing that he's <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, if he's even telling the truth, which I think we can at this point believe he is um black is ultimately pretty dismissive of Smythe and his story he ends the session and he says goodbye to schmidt yeah this is a crazy detail in this story so Smythe, or, or is, it might be smith it's spelled with a y but it might just be a fancy way of saying of smith versus schmidt which is the german version of this yeah uh, this is a crazy thing it's very very unusual i mean it could be that 
Smythe has fabricated his entire identity yeah. just to play a trick on a psychologist? Or there's something deeper going on here. Yeah, well, I think it's related to the fact, you know, something that comes up in this conversation with with Dr. Black is that uh, Smith grew up, or Smith's father, rather, grew up in Germany. Smith's grandfather was uh, an American consul in in Nuremberg, uh, probably, you know, approximately 40 years prior to that, so in the 30s. So so thinks Smythe. Right, uh, right. Which is something he would tell Black, which we are already told may or may not be true. That's right. So it is possible that, uh, and this is sort of one of the unresolved questions of this story, I think, which we should maybe maybe get to more in more detail in our discussion. But there is some suggestion here that he might be the son of a Nazi war criminal. Yes, there is some suggestion yeah. of that in this story. <laughs> um, moving along, we learn that uh, Smythe or Smith is at the university, uh, the same university, I believe, as Black, and he takes a trip down to his lab. He invites an undergraduate passerby to look into yeah. his lab to see his project. There's a really beautiful uh, passage here that I want to want to share uh, with, love to li- with our listeners, Brandon, which is, it's, it's just this one little sentence. Uh, Wolf writes, Just as he reached his own door, one of these groups broke up, undergraduates, boys in sweaters and jeans, and girls in jeans and sweaters, drifting out into the corridor. I just thought this was a beautiful passage. I don't know that it really, uh, you know, relates in particular to anything in this story or sets up any special theme, but I just thought this was beautiful. This was a joy to, it was just a joy to read this sentence. great incidental prose. It it is. really wonderful stuff. Yeah, just this description of students walking down a hallway made the world a better place. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and I love how their boys and girls are wearing the same outfits. That's right, except that, you know, which which, it's in, in Inverts sort of which is the thing they're wearing and which is their accompaniment, which I think is yeah. amazing. Yeah, so, it's yeah, great. Beautiful, it's a great beautiful, observation. Beautiful passes. But let's, we should return to our mysterious undergraduate. Let's return to Smythe in the lab with the undergraduate uh, woman. He explains to this undergraduate student that he is a vine runner, which is like a person who trains rats to run mazes, but he does it with vines, with plants. He explains that while plants are not intelligent, because they like a nervous system, they do have something called a para-intelligence. And the student replies that, uh, and this is a quote, intelligence ought to be defined by the way something responds, not by what you find inside when you cut it open. Yeah, this is a great passage. I mean, it is in this instance in the story, it's it's about plants. But this is also how Wolf deals with robots, with computers, uh, and with aliens. This is just a real statement of kind of one of one of the Wolf agendas, one of Wolf's paradigms here in science fiction. Absolutely. And Smythe also agrees. He, he kind of underhandedly agrees with the student that that's the case. But he says he can't because the department would frown upon that. And he goes on to explain how his experiment works. Smythe takes vines and grows them through a series of passages. The walls of these passages are made of various panels that are graded from uh, translucent to opaque. The smart vines, upon realizing um, their mistake when they go down a darker passage, will stop growing down that path. And then they'll branch towards the light from the last point where their mistake was made. The plants cannot ever turn back to the kind of core vine, and they merely just grow from the last kind of good spot in their journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, The student, who is incredibly intuitive, and uh, as I said before, a woman, she perceives that the plants or vines are much more like a society than an animal. She says that the vine grows an institution, and then if it finds out it's going the wrong way, it grows another one. Yeah, we're going to come back to this in the discussion, <laughs> yes, I think. Yes, definitely. She notices then a sprawling plant that is not behaving very intelligently. 
Smythe tells her that this is the morning glory, but this plant has been grown from seeds that were subjected to radiation. Because of this, Smythe says, it cannot discriminate between light levels, and so it goes on continuously in the wrong direction. The girl, remembering a television program she had seen the night before, describes the program to Smythe. She said it was a show about turtles who went to lay eggs in their usual island or habitat. A hydrogen bomb test had occurred before the turtles arrived, and radiation was still very present in that location. The radiation made the turtles forget their instincts, and they crawled to the middle of the island and died and rotted in the jungle. Yeah, they just they had completely lost their way because of the radiation and and died as a as a result of it. Yeah, uh, died a pretty sad and lonely death. We should probably emphasize. Death, yes. Yeah. She looks back at the morning glory plant and she asks if the plants ever bloom in their opaque paths. Smythe tells her that they never do, and he supposes that the plants experience the paths as though they, the plants, were walking down marble corridors. He thinks to himself that the white plastic doesn't really look like marble, and he doesn't understand how he made that connection. On his way home, Smythe is on the bus. He continues to think about the conversation with the student, and he finds that these ruminations are much more pleasant than paying attention to the polluted air or news about France being a nuclear power. Are we sensing a theme develop here? <laughs> yeah, we should point out here that the reason that he hears this radio news about France developing nuclear weapons is because there's a man on the bus with a transistor radio, because again, uh, this is before iPods uh, yeah. and podcasts. But the man who's listening to this news broadcast is, is a blind man. Uh, that makes him uncomfortable and he has to turn away. Right. Um, I think this is a detail that we'll, we'll return to. I hope so. Um, so that night, Smythe has another dream. He dreams of walking through an enormous building that is like a mausoleum. And here we're given more of this marble wall imagery. He's being trailed by some green mist. He finds that there are doors with wonderful opportunities opening, but they only open after he passes through them and he only can see them in his hindsight. He tries very hard to turn around so he can go back and go through them but he is unable to move back in his dream. We have some details in this section about uh, Smythe's home life. Yeah, which um, I, they're really great, actually, because they they're identical to Gene Wolfe's home routine. Yeah, I know. He comes home from work. He works on his book for an hour. Then uh, he hangs out and watches TV with his wife. Uh, for the rest of for the, the rest, night. For the rest of the night. Right, yeah. until he wakes yeah. up from his uh, dream and falls again once asleep. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, there's, a, there's a detail in here where he, he's, on, um, he's hanging out uh, in his favorite chair, and he's reading a book, which is also something that Gene Wolfe uh, writes about from time to time, though he always tells us he's eating potato chips. Uh, Smythe here is has a drink, which I think might be more authentic to the Gene Wolfe experience. Um, but I, he doesn't tell us what uh, what the drink is. I just no, wanted to ask doesn't. you, Brandon, what do you think Smythe is, is drinking here? I think it's, I mean, my sense is that it's ice water or something like that, because the tepid Oh, I don't know. Flows, he says, but make a drink. That's true. That's a really good point. I didn't give much thought to it. We know it ends up on his crotch when it falls over that's right. onto him, <laughs> and he has to change before going back to bed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I assume there was uh, since there was ice in the drink. I thought he probably it, just fixed himself a whiskey. Oh, on the probably rocks. a whiskey yeah. on the rocks. Yeah, yeah, that's the. I mean, that's what we drink as we record this podcast. So. Correct. <laughs> uh, so Smythe is up and about in the morning, and his wife reminds him that he will be counseling graduate students on their thesis, which. 
in the past has been the least favorite part of his job. And she's surprised to hear that he isn't dreading this as usual. He seems to have come up with some ideas he wants to share with his prospective Mm -hmm. students. Um, And he's excited to share them. And so Smythe kind of reflects upon in this odd aside passage. Yeah, this is beautiful. Yeah, he reflects upon the terrifying day when he realized that he was a man whose life had been decided for him by the decisions of others, namely his father. Yeah, can I just read the passage, actually? I, I think this that. is such yes, a beautiful, a beautiful bit of prose. Yeah. Uh, so this is what, what Wolf writes uh, directly. For almost the first time since that terrifying day when he had wakened to find himself not only a man, but a man whose life had already, in its larger outlines, been decided in incompetency and idiocy by his father and the callow boy who had once been himself. This is a beautiful bit of writing, and and just a real. Uh, you you really feel that 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 Smythe here considers himself to be a little bit trapped in this life, uh, which is very interesting. It is interesting because we're not really given. We we're kind of given that he's a bit of a trickster throughout this story. That, that's I feel that's like. right. I want to bring something up here, Brandon, which is um, something that I found in uh, Joan Gordon's biography of Gene Wolfe, or really it's a, it's a reader's guide to Gene Wolfe from the 80s. The, she mentions an interview in which Wolfe described his own choices as a young man in almost exactly the same way. Uh, this is an interview he, he gave to the magazine Vector uh, exp- to talk about how he had majored in mechanical engineering at, at Texas A&M University. And uh, I'll just tell you what he, what he told the magazine uh, regarding his decision to major in mechanical engineering. He says, I suspect that I did this uh, because someone told my father and me it was a good thing to take until you made up your mind. So I think, again, here we're getting quite a bit of autobiographical Gene Wolfe stuff seeping into Morning Glory here. Definitely. And it, this this also, this passage and that quote now reminds me very much of a, kind of a great novel that's had a massive resurgence in popularity in the past five or six years, uh, maybe even a little longer, called Stoner by John Williams, which is about um, an academic who... Uh, actually is very much trapped in life, but finds happiness in it and finds a way to happiness. And I think we kind of get that with this story a little bit. There's a little bit of a triumph, I think, yeah, in this I think story as well. I, I, I agree. And, and there, there isn't any any suggestion here, like in his home life or even really in his work life, that he's, he's unhappy. And so it's interesting to present the life, this life that actually he's very certainly comfortable and probably content and maybe even happy in as still something that was decided for him. Right. Uh, which, is, which is true of all of us. We have to we make all these important decisions or have them made for us at a time when we don't really know what the actual I consequences mean, we, are. Yeah, we are born into a world in progress and there's very little we actually get to decide, but we won't go too deep into the free will debate no. this evening. <laughs> no, I think we can safely return to the plot of our story. Yes, and we're rounding third here. So after this reflection, um, Smythe goes and he sets up his office uh preparing for students to come visit and we're very near the end here yeah we get a little a little detail here where he's musing about academic politics and how they're they're going to get in the way of his program that he's that he's thought up and that has kind of invigorated him this morning and this really just reminded me of of trip trap this sort of some of the, right. the sort of um uh, gene wolf's kind of um, um diatribe i suppose against uh, against how political academics and academia he are. takes a lot of jabs he in takes academics he, and it, yeah he sure does he, uh, uh, he thinks politics get in the way of real. I mean, who knows if progress is such a thing in academia anyway, but uh, he, he definitely takes jabs at the way this institution operates. Absolutely. So finally, a student comes uh, into Dr. Smythe's office and Smythe pitches the student on using uh, Smythe's vine running experiments as a study which can function as an analog to society. 
Smythe hopes that he and the student can discover whether radiation-damaged plants can be re-educated through therapy. And here's this word, therapy, again. Mm-hmm. He wants to understand how society could be helped using that kind of information in the same way that children have been helped by, quote, studying rats. Yeah. <laughs> And here we are now at the end. The student agrees, and Smythe sees a certain light flicker in the expression of his student. And we close the story with the following sentence. The green fingers of Smythe's mind reached toward that light, ready to grasp whatever support he found and never let go. And that is the end of uh, Morning Glory. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful ending. I just want to zoom back to, um, to this meeting with a grad student here a little bit. Uh, as someone who is in academia, I've, I've had an awful lot of uh, grad student meetings with my, with my academic advisor. Uh, and I really loved the uh, description that he gives, that the wolf gives here of, of the complaints that grad students have and how whiny and demanding they are. <laughs> uh, because, in fact, we are. But, in fact, we also actually need mentorship and guidance. And so there was then uh, that, that, that section concludes with this. This, this kind of beautiful, uh, I keep using that word, I guess, this, uh, this kind of profound kind of moving passage here where uh, Smythe is, is thinking about his pedagogical role. I'm just going to read this. Wolf writes, the student, the right student, would have a hundred utterly insane ideas, and he would talk them over with him, pointing out flaws and combining half-workable thoughts until they hit on something that might be tried, something to be guided by his experiences and the student's imagination. And I just thought this was a really kind of a profound passage, and this is really what, for, for for me, as a as a as a teacher, and especially someone who works as a as a tutor in a writing center, uh, is just so 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 fun about my job yeah. is getting to work one on one with students. I mean, the exactly master and mentor, things. and you get you get to see the development. I mean, and their what ideas work and why, and and you're introducing them into the meaningful discourse of a field, and it's. It's exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, it's when I, when I, you know, I don't get actually to spend a whole lot of time doing that with students because I've got other work to do. But those <laughs> right. hours I get to spend with students doing that are the highlight of, of my, of my week. And I don't know how this is something he's been, he's, he's dreaded in the past. Like, this is the best thing we get to do. <laughs> right. Well, I think he's a bit of a mad scientist. So <laughs> that's true. Mad scientists, not really into <laughs> they, pedagogy. They do not, not like students. It. Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly, I mean, he's clearly in a basement cultivating vines uh, kind of by himself. I mean, for all, probably <laughs> yeah. no. He might just be a janitor in this university with with insane <laughs> yeah. delusions. Uh, access access yeah. to morning glory seeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, great. I think that 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 definitely wraps up the uh, the plot of yeah. uh, of morning glory. So I, I think it's time, Brandon, then to move into our broader discussion. I want to start, uh, Brandon. I think so maybe split our discussion into two parts. The second part that we'll get to second, uh, sort of being bigger thematic questions. I yeah. think it might be profitable in this story, as we've done in other stories, to start our discussion. Discussion by talking about kind of the wolfy bits or the the wolfish questions and, yeah. and of, of sort of what actually happened, what's going on, who is this character, sort of character and plot questions we might have. And so the first question that I have, Brandon, on this matter, on the wolfy bits is, what is it that's actually happened to Smythe that is making him empathize with the plants that he studies so much that he's dreaming about them? And, and in fact, dreaming that he's becoming one of them. What, what actually is it that's happened here to him? It, did he take LSD or LSA, I think is what's actually happening. Yeah, LSA, that's right. Yeah. I think he did. I think we can guarantee in this story, uh, the most plausible piece is that he took Morning Glory Seeds and either that had some sort of long-term effect on him or it had no effect. Right. And everything that happens in the story is as it seems. Yeah. The dreams and the vines 
there's every chance he's running these experiments and that he is so close to them that they just have taken over his life the way, and I forget where I was reading this, but it seemed so kind of right for this story. It might've been an article in Aeon or it might've been in this story where talking about like kind of how playing Tetris for a long time can just kind of, you play in your sleep and this is a real effect Sure, that you just get so involved in an activity that it becomes what you dream about. Mm-hmm. This happened to me actually when I was working at Starbucks and learning how to make all the drinks. <laughs> I would have dreams about making the drinks. And I think that what we get, maybe this LSA did open his mind in some way, and he's able to make these broader connections between plants reaching the light and not being able to turn back. This is a theme in Wolf, and it's a subtle theme. In, in Gene Wolf, there's no reclaiming the past. Um, and I, I brought this up in, in past stories. For Gene Wolfe, the characters and human civilization as a whole is never able to reclaim the past. You can only move forward. And this is a huge piece of this story, is a learning to reach for the light. Yeah. We're, though we're, you have we'll gone down that, yeah. these dark paths. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to just double back to this question of what actually happens to him, because there is this bit that's teased at us in the in the beginning. Right. This, you are what you eat. And so there is some sort of suggestion, right? That it's actually turning into a morning glory, which is obviously as is, is absurd. <laughs> right, right. But, but psychologically but, but, speaking. Yeah, psychologically speaking. I but, think that's fair. I mean, yeah. I think at that darker passage about the choices being made for right. him is a hundred percent on point with that you are what you eat. He is the morning glory plant at this point at in this his point, life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has hope to purge that from himself, I think. Uh, it's maybe through his system now we get, we see at the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. And so I've got one more question on the Wolfie bits before we get to like this, these big themes. So if Smythe doesn't actually believe in Freudian psychology and is just making up his dreams, why does he go to Dr. Black for therapy? I think this is more tricky than it ought to be. This is maybe something that's an ingredient of the story that uh, kind of keeps it from being fully baked. Uh-huh. It leads to too many questions, and it leads the story down too many fruitless paths, I think, in in kind of unpacking the themes and some of the literary devices he uses, like the motifs of the white marble halls and the Mm -hmm. nuclear radiation and the vines and and the dreams. Here's what I think is going on. Wolf said, I need to introduce dreams to this story. What's the best way to do that? Oh, interesting. So, so I think the dreams certainly the, do matter to the story, but I do think also that 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 Freud himself, as a figure and Freudian thinking about about how how our identities are constructed and our desires, right, um, is important to the themes that uh, maybe we should we should just turn to now. Yeah, but, I think that's fair. I think so. For, I mean, why? But why is he going to black for so long and making up dreams? Is he trying to discredit? Freudian analysis when he is a biologist, yeah. potentially well, with what, what kind Black. of Watsonian behaviorism, or mm. is he a patient in a, an institution mm. with marble-like halls that he cannot escape from, and he's living inside of a delusion perhaps caused by the yeah. ingestion of morning glory seeds, and just now he's recovering these memories that he can create an identity out of? I don't think that's the case, but I think you could read that from yeah. the story. I mean, it's, it, this wouldn't be the first time that, that Wolf has um, 
well, it might chronologically be the first time, but it's not the first wolf story that you and I have ever read in which there are questions about what level of reality is happening here. Yeah, so, and the sanity of the character. The sanity the character. of the character, absolutely. So let's set the wolfy bits aside here and move on to our thematic questions. And I want to start by talking about this metaphor uh, for society or this, this that, that we get from the undergrad. Uh, you pointed this out in the, the plot recap, but I'll, I'll just read it again here for our, our discussion. She says... It's like a society more than an animal, isn't it? I mean, it sort of grows an institution. And then if it finds out it's going the wrong way, it grows another one. So this is a real interesting metaphor. Do you think this is a good metaphor? Do you think societies grow institutions? Do you think that societies grow new institutions when they find out the old ones are going the wrong way? Yeah, it's not a metaphor that works perfectly for me. It works better the way Wolf actually uses it in the story, which is to describe a life that has missed opportunities. Yeah, that's right. And I, I wish that there had been a way for him to in, to use some kind of metaphor to address that theme that was a better metaphor, that just seemed like a true, truer, better, I mean, more he's applicable. so close. You have plants. And what is <laughs> what is what else is necessary to plants but cultivation? Yeah. I mean, this is right, right there. Yeah. It's and, right there. Well, and there are, and of course there are metaphors, social metaphors for societies, metaphors uh, and the institutions that they, that they have uh, to operate that do use plants. Trees, actually a lot of a lot of cultures use trees, uh, where in fact we family in the West institutions, use bodies. the family family tree, family tree, for yeah. example. Yeah, exactly. That could have could have been done. So uh, the species is like the classification. Yeah, of species ta- yeah taxonomies. Also, yeah, yeah taxonomies. absolutely. Yeah, which would have been would have been great here in um, you know in a story about a mad scientist. What's funny about Morning Glory is that it is a plant without a clear taxonomy. <laughs> it's true. That's uh, yes, that's right. It's actually very confusing. So there are two uh, major intertwined motifs in Morning Glory, um, at least the way that I read it, Brandon. And these are sort of light and dark, uh, which also manifests as uh, vision and blindness. And then the other one that we get is is radiation and the the loss of direction or the the loss of purpose. And I, I thought, Brandon, we might just take these in turn and see what we, we make of them. And I, I thought maybe let's start with light and dark, and let's even get that conversation going. Maybe just by by cataloging the places that we see this motif, um, and then maybe we can move on to interpreting its its purpose. The light and dark things work best when you're looking at plants and the kind of scale and grade of glass, I suppose, that's used um, to to keep the plant in. And dark is characterized as kind of the wrong way. We're seeing darkness as the wrong way to go. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't. I don't know that I actually saw any more any other points there, um, except for one, Brandon, which is to to point out that um, in the first dream that we get recounted to us, the true dream that he's yes, recounted yes. to Doctor Black, his father is shouting at him to see, see, see. Right. Right. He wants him to see the light. Yes, and I mean this is interesting in terms of the father being a kind of prophet, and there's this kind of oracular vision that Smythe is blocked from seeing, perhaps due to his unhappiness. Perhaps ultimately, I think, and this is the real flourishing of this metaphor of his inability to take responsibility for his own life until this undergraduate enlightens him with a new idea <laughs> yeah. for a study, and maybe there's a way that his study can improve society. And he can use these forces that are destructive to society to help it grow in the right direction. Maybe we can be re-educated out of our obsession with nuclear power and radiation. Yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly right. 
And I want to bring up something else on this on this theme here, Brandon. Uh, I was taking a look at Mark Aramini's uh, really wonderful book, Ooh. Between Light and Shadow, which yes. he goes through each of these stories and has just phenomenal things to say about them. I took a look at what he had to say about Morning Glory, and uh, he makes a, an interesting argument that I want to bring up to you here. He suggests that the vine-running apparatus uh, that we see Smythe um, experimenting with is meant to be a metaphor for the marble corridors of, of the university, and that universities as uh, a secular institution are sequestered away from uh, the true light. I just wondered, what do you think of the Brandon? Do you think that Wolf feels that universities are lost and that they contribute to the meaninglessness of society? This is more personal to me in this story. I don't think there's, there's definitely jabs at the institution of the university, but I think this is more of a personal connection with Smythe in the university more than it is commentary on the university system as a whole you get out of an education what you put into it and at a certain point like Smythe realizes you have to reach for the light and you have to be an adult and you have to take responsibility for your choices (laughs) I think Aramini's 90% there I just don't think it's a broader commentary yeah interesting okay and and to be fair to to be fair to 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 Mark Aramini I that that was me paraphrasing quite a bit so I may I in fact I would say I've extrapolated his argument so so sort of a broader effect than what (laughs) well I'll go back and read it after this uh, after this uh, podcast yeah everybody should take a look at it it's a it's a a great entry in a in a really fascinating and fantastic book yeah so we've got with this the light and dark Brandon we've got here I think a real sense that Wolf is talking here about some real loss of of soul, some sort of loss of kind of a, a divine essence, or even just our core humanity uh, in well, modernity here. Yeah, and there's a false source of light that causes people to lose their way. Yeah, they go the wrong way. And, and this radiation. And That's that there's, right. There's yeah. All these secular institutions have kind of culminated in nuclear radiation, nuclear power, radiation, the hydrogen bomb weapons of mass destruction. This is a classic kind of critique of the failure of the Enlightenment in some ways, which is that all of this led to all of our great hopes about what science would offer us as a society led to a century of unprecedented bloodshed in the 20th century and culminating in the only way that we can keep each other in check as nations is no longer a balance of power. Yeah. Um, it's holding, it's, holding the world hostage. It's holding the world hostage. And that lightness and darkness in this story, the morning glory seeds that are subject to this false light can't actually see the true light and go in the right direction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's not a, it's not a subtle metaphor. It's a real powerful statement about modernity and about about the 20th century in particular. That for for all of our tools, for all of our tricks, we've lost something. That yeah, we, and 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 this is what well, we've lost culture. It's yeah, kind of what it right. comes down to. We've lost the things that are greater than us, uh, that bind us together. And where in maybe earlier centuries you'd have art or the local church or the opera house or the traveling musicians or these things. And you're, you're doing, when I say sacrifice, I mean, as a community, you're choosing to give money to something to keep it alive. And examples in our society today are, are mostly professional sports where people are willing to pay that much. Public radio is barely alive. And it's <laughs> yeah. crazy government subsidies. Universities aren't that far off in, in their reliance on public subsidies and, and government subsidies. Oh, abs- for, abs- for absolutely. Education. Yeah. These kinds of things that are the light bringers to society are not being supported by culture. People no longer act as if they're worth the sacrifice and they're taken as a matter of fact 
And because they've forgotten that they require sacrifice to exist, they're fading. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brandon, I've got I've got one more question. Is is Smythe Christ? What is he Christ? <laughs> yeah, let wait, me. Wait. Yes, please, de- please defend this question. <laughs> so. We learned that he is going to be labeled a heretic uh, by the priestly class for his uh, his views uh, on on intelligence uh, and uh, sort of perhaps his definition uh, of of humanity uh, and and to whom salvation uh, ought to be given. But he has seen the light of truth and now he wants to heal the world. Uh, and to that end, he's going to take his his pastoral duties uh, very seriously. That's an interesting reading. I don't know if I encountered this story this way at all. This is maybe less Christ and more kind of hero's journey sort of thing. Okay. So here's what that reading lends to this story, is that Smythe is ultimately right about the plants' institutions and the ability to rehabilitate the radiated (laughs) plants. Maybe that's what it lends to this story. I don't know if there's much more we can, much more of that reading we can get from the story. It was the use of the word heretic that really suggested this to Interesting. me. And, and, and seeing um, his colleagues in the department who will think of him as a heretic, right. as the Pharisees. I, I mean, but Wolf, who is so explicit when it comes to religious imagery and symbolism, yeah. has almost none in this story. And this is almost about well, except secular for, except for the light institutions. And, well, light and dark, though, that's yeah. Manichaean. I mean, that's not purely Christian or, or Catholic. I mean, that's kind of a duality of good and evil, which is everywhere. I don't know that that's special to... Well, I don't think it's... it's. I don't think it's a dualism, light and dark. I think it's a... There is light, and the absence of light is darkness, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That it's... We've lost the light that we uh, we have from our Creator and from Christ uh-huh. um, because of all of our toys and tricks of modernity, and that we need to find a... And, and that those things are, are, are killing us. They are they are destroying our society. They're causing society us and, to lose direction. And so we need a new... Prophet, a new Messiah figure, perhaps. To come, I mean, that to CCC us. is extraordinarily oracular from Smythe's fa- father. That is your people who are prophets see true; they see correctly. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's it, there's some of that's there. We're we're given this kind of prophetic visions. There's no reclaiming of the past. There's no going through th- back to these Edenic scenes of childhood or the perfect scenes of the perfect day. We can never go back to them. But if we now branch from the right place and reach for the light, mm-hmm. yeah, we can. There's hope. There is hope. Yeah. This is really an optimistic story in the end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to, and I just want to on, on, uh, one more make one more comment, Brandon, about Smythe as Christ, which is to say that Smythe might not be Christ, but he is a precursor to Patera Silk from uh, the Book of the Long Sun, which, uh, w- w- and, and I think we should keep this story in mind yeah. uh, when, we, when we get there, which I, when I started reading Morning Glory, I did not think I was going to want to keep this story in mind uh, for 10 years, <laughs> but we will. You have, I mean, absolutely, you have the, these uh, epiphanic experiences uh, that come from... An outsider. <laughs> an outsider, but also perhaps explainable events as explainable things, but... What I but love nonetheless here, bring about a profound yes, change. Although it is explainable, this is another great thing. Wolf does not diminish the spiritual impacts of explainable phenomena. And it's the best marriage of kind of this science will have us do away with the meaning of a spiritual or 
any kind of encounter with something beyond ourselves. Absolutely. And just because you can explain something scientifically should not demean or devalue the the spiritual uh, the subjective meaning, experience. The, the, uh, and what, exactly. what can come yeah. from the subjective? Yeah, absolutely. And th- this is the central theme of the Soldier series as well, which I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah. Too. Well, that was, I mean, yeah, great observation there, Glenn. Well, Brandon, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Glenn McDorman. And I'm Brandon Buddha. And Glenn, that's a great note to end on. <laughs> you can find us and our other creative projects at claytemplemedia.com. Yeah, head on over to the Clay Temple forums and let us know what you thought of Morning Glory. You can comment on whether or not you agree with me that Smythe is Christ or if you think that I am utterly insane. <laughs> Well, next time, we'll be covering the story Car Sinister, which you can find in the collection Gene Wolfe's Castle of Days. Until then, we greet you and we say farewell.